Lord, our Heavenly Father, we come before you now as weak and fallible and human beings who sin before you. And we've brought you our attempts at worship. But Lord, we know that you see our hearts. And Lord, now as we open your word too, we pray that it be all of you again, that you would take your word, that you would plant it deep within us, that you would wash away hopelessness, that you would replace it with hope. Hope in an almighty God through His ever-loving Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, do Your work in us, we pray, so that we can reflect Jesus Christ this week. We ask for Your mercy and grace. Amen. We're going to the Old Testament again this week. Um, Next week we'll be starting with our studies, we're resuming our studies in Luke, but I wanted to just stop and just look at the whole question this morning of why do we study God's Word in the first place anyway? Why do we do it? And so let's read through Isaiah chapter 55 because this passage is crucial to why we preach God's Word here at Wanganui East Baptist Church. Isaiah chapter 55 and I'm going to read through the whole chapter, even though Michael reads so very well, I'll repeat it. You can't have too much. Isaiah chapter 55. Now, some of your translations might have that word ho. Now, no, we're not saying yo, sup. We're not going there. That word ho means pay attention and come. And they used to use it in the old days before internet was around, those of you can remember those days, when... um, People used to be called to a central point in a village and they used to listen to the announcements. And that is when this person, the messenger, would call, Ho! Ho! Come! And everyone would gather and then they'd read the message. And so that's that first word there. In your Bible it might say, Ho! It might say, Come! Ho! Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend the money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the nations, and that's David, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel. For He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts. And let Him return to the Lord and He will have compassion on Him and to our God for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth 
so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bear and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up, and instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up, and it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. Powerful chapter. As we look at why do we study God's Word this morning, we need to ask ourselves, why do we do it? Why do we come here Sunday by Sunday and open God's Word? Why don't we just show movies? Why don't we just talk amongst each other, encourage each other? Why do we have a time specifically set aside at the central part of our worship to study God's Word. We need to know that. And then I want to ask you a follow-up question to that. If, you spend, if we are spending all this time in God's Word, and if you spend all this time in God's Word, what difference is it going to make in your life? Is it going to make a difference? And do you believe it? How do you know it will make a difference? The chapter in front of you is evidence of the difference God's Word can and will make in your life. You see, here is clear evidence spoken from the heart of God through His prophet Isaiah, specifically in this time when it was written to the nation of Judah, but also to us, to you and I. If you look around you, not many of us wear cloaks anymore. Now, the only thing that's changed between Judah and us are our clothes and possibly our habits. But our hearts are still the same, aren't they? People are people are people. Our hearts are still, some of you, without God. And for those of you who do know the Lord, your heart will stray. Your heart will want to look after number one, you first. That's human nature. And so this message is not just to the nation of Judah this morning as it was written to them, but to us. It is written to us, those of us who stray and are sinful. It's a message to all mankind, you see. Because it's a message of what? It's a message of who God is. It's a message of what His Word can do for us. And God is unchangeable. And His Word is unchangeable. And so we need to listen to what it says to us. Isaiah chapter 55 has been called by some Yahweh's groan or God's sigh. Because when you look at this, God is calling to people. He's saying, come to me. Those of you who thirst, come to me. And may your thirst be quenched. Those of you who have no money, come, buy and eat. And it doesn't cost you money, just come. And come and find wine and milk without money, without cost. You see, it's a cry from God's heart to mankind to come. We all wander away daily, don't we? And mankind without God is lost. 
And so here's God crying out, Come to me, all of you who want to find me as God. It's a call to everyone. We've already seen. It's a call to both the Jew, who was the tribe of Judah, and Israel, as they're also called a little later, and then also to us, Gentiles, those who are not Jews, all nations. He speaks there about, you will call to you a nation who does not know you, and a nation who, who does not know you will run to you. It's speaking about the Gentiles who would see the witness of the nation of Israel and God working in them, and the Gentiles would run to find this God too. Sometimes by force, but other times just by what they had seen God doing. And God would use Gentiles in that same way, that they would come to Him. And so this invitation stands to you and I, and I want to really come to grips with verses 6 to verses 13, because more than that we'd need more sermons. Alright, so we're going right to the crux of it here. Verses 6 to 13. But I'll be referring to the other verses as we go through. What is this invitation that we read about in verses 6 and 7? This is what it says. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts and let Him return to the Lord and He will have compassion on Him and to our God for He will abundantly pardon What's that first word that hits you between the eyes? Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. It's often used of looking for treasure. You put all your energies into it. You know that story of the man in the New Testament who found a treasure in a field. So what did he do? He sold everything he had and he went and bought that field and then he went to find that treasure. That's the same seek we have to have when it comes to the Lord. Seek the Lord. All our energies. And he carries on. Call on him. And the literal translation is you need to require the Lord. You need to want to have him. Call on him. Because he is your only hope. Seek on him. Call on him. And then there's a warning in that first line. What is it? While he may be found. While he is near. It's repeated. What's the implication? The call of the Lord might not always be on your life. And so when you hear the call of the Lord in your life, respond. Seek the Lord. Come to Him. Call on Him. His call might not always be there for you. There is a warning to us. And who is to come? We've already seen that. Jew and Gentile. And if there are any other exceptions between those two, the wicked and the unrighteous man. The wicked man, forsake your way. The unrighteous man, Put away these evil thoughts in you, says the Lord. There's no exception here, you see. No leeway. All mankind must come. Do you hear the heart of God? It's open to anyone to come. And that includes you, by the way. Anyone. Anyone can come. Why, says God? God makes a promise here to us in those first verses, verses 6 and 7. He says, if you return to me, what, says the Lord? I will have compassion on you. I will pour out my love on you, says the Lord. I will pour it out on you. But not just that. I will literally multiply to you abundant pardon. He's speaking about His justice. 
His love and His justice, they always go together. You can't have one without the other. If you come to me, I will be a loving kind. I will be a God who is full of loving kindness. And I will pour out my abundant pardon on you over and over and over, says the Hebrew. I will multiply my abundant pardon to you. My justice to you. You see, right here in the Old Testament, we have an invitation to salvation. Right here. And it's one of the clearest places in Scripture where we find God's grace and His mercy available to the soul that is willing to seek the Lord, to call on Him, to repent from sin, to receive God's pardon, and to experience God's forgiveness and His love. Is that you today? Are you willing to not just receive the Lord if you don't know Him? And if you do know Him, are you willing to receive His pardon, His love, His mercy? God doesn't just put out this invitation. He bases it on something. Look at verses 8 and 9. I'm going to read through them. <clears throat> you see that little word for? Now, those of you who have been studying Scripture for a while, you'll know. When you see that little word for, you've got to look back to see what it's based on. So He says, you can come to me and find pardon. Why? For, for, verse 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what does God base His invitation on? He bases it on His own character. We saw that when we looked at Psalm 33. God says, I am over you, I sit in the heavens, I look down on mankind. I am the unchanging God. And here he does the same. He says, for my thoughts as God, they're not the same as your thoughts as little fallible human beings. You see, listen to this. God is not like us. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but God is not like you. God is far above who you are. And you see, we as mankind forget that so quickly. And we shake our fist at God. And we tell God what to do. But God is not like us. He says here, I am far above you. I am omniscient. What does that mean? I know everything. Who knows everything here? Put up your hand please now. Everyone can see. None of us. God is omniscient. And so you can't be like God. And God is not like you. God is omniscient. His way of thinking is not even our way of thinking. You see, our problem is we think with limited minds. Our capabilities are limited. We need a massive RAM upgrade and memory upgrade, to put it in computer speak. God thinks way outside of the way we think. God is limitless in His thinking. Why? Because He has the advantage of eternity. In what, in what way does God have the advantage of eternity? He gives eternity perspective. That's how big He is. And so He doesn't think the way we think. He is God. And it's, it's good for us to remember that. Because it puts us back in our little perspective, doesn't it? Because without knowing it, we become this big and God becomes this small. But when we read things like this, we know God is this big and we are this big. But you know the amazing thing here for me, and that's why we've called this an offer of grace, is that God does not 
He is not so complicated that we can't understand Him. He's made it possible for us little wee human beings to also understand something about Him. He has told us enough through His Word so that we can follow His ways. He has revealed enough about Himself in such simplicity compared to Him that we mere mortals can understand and we can return to Him and we can obey Him. He's, he's done that, you see. And that's why I love this God that we serve. He's made it possible for me to understand Him, just in a little bit, but enough so that I can be saved. But therein lies the problem too, you see. Because we come to the Lord, and our ways are not His ways. God says, your ways are not my ways, declares the Lord. He says that with authority. God is a holy God, and He calls you and I to holy living. But our disobedience, our self-willed, sinful natures get in the way constantly. I don't know about you, I know my heart. And then we come up with our excuses as to why we can't follow God in His way. You see, natural man says this, God, you say I must just believe and I must come to you in your way and you will do everything for me. Man says, it's inconceivable that man can obtain salvation simply by believing and not by his own works. To put it in key, we speak for today. I'm a good person. I don't need God. God says your ways are not my ways. Your wisdom is not my wisdom, says the Lord. And the prophet says it this way. God says through his prophet, My thoughts are higher than your, your thoughts. They are as lofty as the heavens are higher than the earth. And so man, would you tell me that you've got to do things so that you can be saved? I say, come to me. Not by your works, but by everything I do for you, says the Lord. And so what is foolishness to men, and you just try and tell people in the world today that all they need to do is believe in God and they'll be saved. And they'll think you are loony. What is foolishness to men is wisdom to the Lord. Because our thoughts are His thoughts, you see. And man carries on his excuses. Look at verses 10 to 11. And God answers it. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent, for, for which I sent it. Now, says natural man, you mean I can just be changed by listening to God's Word and just accepting it? No. God's Word is out. Experience is in. If you want to know God, you need to experience Him. Preaching and listening to God's Word, expound it? No, that's out. Entertainment, drama and skits, that's in. God's work, His way. Man's work, His way. And God says, no, you can be changed just by listening to my word. Just look at the rain and the snow, says the Lord, through his prophet. The rain is sent down from heaven and it lands on the earth. The rain and the snow, not so much in our country, but maybe south. The rain and the snow fall down. They come from heaven and they land on earth. And those of you who are scientists here know that the rain and the snow, they kind of melt and go into the earth and then seeds are nourished. 
And then the seeds come forth and they produce seed for the sower and bread for the eater. In other words, the Lord says here, rain and snow do not return before accomplishing their ends. Just look at the rain and the snow for an example, says the Lord. They do what they are sent to do. And just so with my word, says the Lord, out of my mouth comes my word. And God through the prophet, the prophet says, it does not return to me empty. So as the rain and snow do their job, my word goes out, says the Lord, from my mouth. It's a living word and it will accomplish that which I send it out to do. Just like the rain and snow will. And what does the word do? God's word accomplishes that which he purposes. I love that. It doesn't just come to us. We don't just open the the scriptures and by God's inspiration speak and nothing happens. God sends his word out with purpose. He does it. He has a specific purpose in mind. He sends out his living word. Just like back in Genesis. He speaks and something happens. What happened? Genesis 1 verse 3. God said, let there be light. He spoke word. And what happened? There was light. And then God spoke life into the man. He created man and breathed life into him. But he puts life there. It was the command of God. And today to sinners too, those who are dead in their sin without God, God says to them, when his word hits them, he says, let there be light. And what happens in a sinner's life? Suddenly they understand there is light. And then he says, once you know what I want you to do, let there be life. And God brings a dead sinner to life. It happens. His word accomplishes what it is sent out for. And so therefore the opposite is also true. God's purposes will not be met by man's means. In other words, to clarify, if you don't use God's means, His word, you don't achieve God's ends. And that is one of the reasons why we here at Wangunui East Baptist will carry on preaching God's word because it will achieve its ends. It's God's way of doing things, not ours. And so we will preach the word in season and out of season. Whether you want to hear it or not, we will preach the word. And God will achieve his ends. That's what we are here for. Nothing else. And so God has given us his means. It is the word. It is central to us. And we need to remember that as we get stuck into the rest of our series through Luke and Ephesians. We need to really remember this. God has given us His Word. Let's pay attention to it. Why? Verses 12 and 13 gives us a promise. Listen to this promise. And it wasn't just for Judah. It's for you and I as well. Listen to it. For you will go out with joy and you will be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. And instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up, and instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up, and it will be a memorial to the Lord from an everlasting sign, for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. You see, we need to ask ourselves this question this morning, if we are going to understand Isaiah chapter 55, what is the purpose of God's word? I know it's important, but what is its purpose? Because if we don't understand its purpose, then we can't understand the genius and the the hope that this passage offers us. 
And it's quite possible because people have not understood the purpose of God's Word that they misuse God's Word so often. And so you'll get people who will be pushing people for money using God's Word. You'll, be, you'll get people who will be pushing people for political ends using God's Word. And it's happened in history. It's still happening today. They misunderstand the purpose of God's Word. What is the purpose of God's Word? It is there to bring fruit in us. Simple. And what is that fruit? True worship of God. You see, if we apply the principles of God's Word and we faithfully live out the principles of God's Word, what happens? We live lives which glorify God and that is true worship of God. And so the purpose of God's Word is to bring true worship by mankind back to God. That's what it's there for. It's to bring fruit. The Gospel narrative right through, from Genesis right through to Revelation, is all about the reasons for and the restoration of true worship of God in mankind. And so therefore, content and theology that we study week in, week out here, that's not the aim of the game. We're not trying to get more clever. We are wanting to know how do I worship God with my life. And that is why we must be deliberate about God's Word. And that is why we must come before God's Word expectantly every time I open the pages. Lord, I want to worship you with my life. Show me how. God's Word is to be important to us. Because in the end, it will result in real joy and real peace, says verse 12. Yes, you and I will go out with joy and with peace and with dancing. And the, the prophet was speaking here specifically to the nation of Judah when they would be led out from captivity. And Israel, speaking widely here, when God's people historically would be freed from the yoke of captivity. And when he was writing, when Isaiah started writing, the people weren't in captivity yet. The Assyrians were knocking at their door, wanting to take over, but as yet they hadn't broken into those cities. But it would happen through this prophecy of Isaiah. They would be taken captive. And Isaiah is speaking out here into the future saying, there will come a day, O nation, when you will be freed and you will be let go out of captivity and you will go out singing with joy and you will be shouting glad shouts to the, to the Lord. And as you shout, the hills around you will rebound that sound. The hills will be singing. And as you wave those palm branches on your hands, the trees will be clapping their hands because of the joy and the peace that God has brought to you. He's using personification there, by the way. But, says the prophet, and here he speaks prophetically about a greater peace and a greater leader who will come. And you would have read about him in Isaiah chapter 53, the great Messiah who would free his people for all eternity. And Jesus Christ came and died for mankind. The prophet is pointing to a greater, far, more far-reaching picture when all of mankind, Jew and Gentile, would come out, would be led forth in peace by the Word Himself, the Messiah. The one who is described in Isaiah 53 as the one who would be despised and rejected by men. The one who would bear their grief and their sorrow. The one who was wounded for our transgression. 
the one who was crushed for our iniquities. And we'll be remembering what Christ has done a little later this morning. This Messiah, this great Lord Jesus. Well, here the prophet Isaiah is pointing forward to him. But he's also pointing forward to a time when this great Messiah will come again and all those who know the Lord will stand up, whether you are dead in the ground and rotten and dust, or whether you are still alive when the Lord comes, we will stand and together with the Lord, He will lead us out and we will be giving great shouts of joy and the hills and the mountains will shout with us and the trees will very literally clap their hands as the new creation is brought about because of what God has done. And so the the prophet points forward and he gives you and I hope through this passage. And so this heart worship is produced in us when we study God's word, when we allow it to take root into us. You see, he's not finished with his metaphor there. If you look at verse 13, he speaks about, and it's kind of a strange metaphor here where the rain falls and this little thorn seed suddenly produces something else. And the, uh, the briar seed produces a different plant. It's a different metaphor. So we've got to take note here. What's happening here? You see, usually if I water my... And I don't do much watering. I dig holes. But Alice waters. And if I pour water on a plant, it's generally if I have a thorn bush, a bigger thorn bush results, right? And if I've got briar, I generally use not water on that stuff, but other stuff. Um, if I put water on briar, a bigger briar plant comes. But here, what's happening here is, it says this rain falls on the earth and where the thorn was, suddenly a cypress comes out. Eh? Something really different. And where the briar was, suddenly something else comes up. What is that? A myrtle. Well, I'd better pay attention. What is this thing? And we've got to know a little bit about the Old Testament emblems here. You see, in the Old Testament, a thorn was an emblem of the wicked. And when the rain falls on the wicked, and don't feel too, it's them he's talking about, it's us. When the rain falls on the wicked, or the word falls on us, we are changed. And instead of a thorn comes up a cypress. And the cypress was the emblem of the godly. So instead of the wicked now, come up the godly. And he says, instead of the briar and the flea wart, I like the name for that one, the flea wart. If you've ever had a bit of that stuff on you, it looks like a flea bite. But anyway, it's just by the by. The Old Testament emblem for the, the briar was an uncultivated and an unkept waste, like some of our gardens, right? Well, you see, when God's rain falls on that waste, Instead of just being wasted, suddenly it sprouts forth a beautiful and evergreen and a fragrant shrub which everyone enjoys. You get the picture? The rain and the snow achieve their purpose. Noxious weeds have turned into beautiful and evergreen plants which will flourish, grow, bear fruit and as Psalm 92 says, be ever full of sap and green. You see, when the Word of God is faithfully taught by God's people, and when it empowers us by the Spirit, when it literally, as um, the Bible speaks out, when it falls down on us, in other words, it gets absorbed into our lives, and we put ourselves under God's Word, 
then a change happens. And this is where I take hope. Because what does it say? The change is this. Lusting people become pure people. Spiritually dead people come alive. Fearful people become courageous. Thieves become givers. Demanding people become servants. Angry people become peacemakers. Complainers become thankful. And idolaters come to joyfully worship the one true God. And you and I, we are those idolaters, by the way. It's not just the people who bow down to little images. Ours are called dollar signs. We will come and we will joyfully worship the Lord when we allow His Word to work in, to fall down on us like rain. Do you get the image of this passage? It is beautiful. It gives us so much hope. And so the ultimate purpose of God's Word is not theological information. And sorry, that's not why we're studying the book of Luke. But it is heart and life transformation. And Luke himself says that. I've written this, Theophilus, so that you may know Him. Personal relationship. Paul Tripp in his book, Dangerous Calling, says this. He says, the purpose of the Word of God is to bring about a radically transformed life because the worship, because the worship at the centre of that life has been reclaimed. And therein lies the offer of grace to you and I this morning. Put yourself under God's Word. Allow it to do its work in you. And then you will be changed. And so I want to come to five so what's as we come to the conclusion of this message this morning. And the first one is this. How does this apply to you? Firstly, come to God. It's not hard. If you do not know the Lord, come to God. And if you're a sinful human being, come to God. And through His offer of new life, you will find the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Come to God through obedience to His Word if you thirst and you are hungry to fill that God-sized hole in you because nothing else and no one else will fill that vacuum. Come to God. Secondly, be serious about God's Word. As we study God's Word this year, be serious about studying God's Word. And while you're studying, seek the Lord while He may be found. You know, Sometimes you read scripture and it's over the top. It's gone. And sometimes you read scripture and it hits you between the eyes. Have you found that? It bounces up at you. It's alive. Take note. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Use those moments. Approach God's word with expectation every time you open his pages. It's exciting. What's, going to, what's God going to say to me today as I open His Word? That's the expectation we have to have. Be serious about God's Word. Thirdly, subject yourself to God and His Word. That's the hardest one. God's Word says this, but I... No, no, no. Put yourself under God's Word. It's word His Word says this, obey. And it doesn't matter how hard it is. It doesn't matter what it's telling you to do. Subject yourself to God's Word. His thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are not your ways. Trust in God's Word. Whatever it says, obey Him. Fourthly, allow God's Word to change you. 
You know, why am I saying that? Isn't God all-powerful? Yes, He's all-powerful. He can force you into the kingdom, but does He? No. He changes you because He makes your heart soft as butter, but He wants you to come. It's a two-way thing here, you see. And so, allow God's Word to change you as you read thoughts and as they hit you between the eyes, as the Spirit works on your heart. Don't resist Him. Be soft before Him. Allow Him to bring change. And He will change what is thorn in you. And there's still thorn in all of us. He will change what is thorn in you into cypress, into holiness. He will change what is briar and wasted land in us. He will change that into something which is fragrant and beautiful and holy before God. Come to Him in true worship. And then lastly, God's Word will not return to Him void. We prayed through that in the prayer meeting this morning. God's Word will not return to Him void. It will accomplish the purpose for which He sends it. And there's our hope, you see. What God has said in His Word will happen. And if you look back at what has already happened, it gives us hope for what is yet to come. And as some of us in our congregation are dying, literally, it gives us hope to know that when we die... What hasn't happened yet will happen. When I close my eyes in death and open them, Jesus will be there for me. There's the hope I have, you see. Why? Because His Word tells me. His Word will accomplish what it says it will. Because who is sending it? God sends it out. And that change that God has promised in your life, it will come about in your life. He has said it will and it will. Because it's going to return glory to him. You see, there's a little bit of verse 13 that I haven't touched yet. Have you noticed that one? It will make a name for the Lord. It will return honor and glory to him as your life is transformed and as you reflect Jesus Christ more brightly to the world around you, to your family. This change that God's word brings about will become an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. How do we know that? Because one day in eternity, you and I who are believers, we will still be speaking about what God has done and is doing in our lives. It's an everlasting thing. And this verse has been misinterpreted so many times by so many people. But it is speaking here about the effectivity of God's word for everlasting because of God's honor. It is his glory which it's speaking about here and his word which brings that about. An eternity with God. It will be to His glory. And so I want to leave you with two verses this morning. Listen to these. I could have chosen many, many. I've chosen two. John chapter 5 verse 24. This is Jesus speaking. Listen to this. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And if you do not yet know the Lord as you're sitting here this morning, that's your verse. Believe it. Come to the Lord and be saved today. And then there's a second verse, and that's for you and I. Those of us who call ourselves believers and that have been saved. Here's your one, Hebrews. I have to make it a good difficult one for you. Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 12 and 13. This is what it says about God's Word. For the Word of God is living and active, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature, and you are there, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Believe God's word. Allow God's word to bring honor to him. And he will be glorified. That is why we will preach God's word. That is why we seek to obey God's word here at Wanganui East Baptist Church. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you for you. We thank you for your son, the one that you sent, your word sent out into the world. And Lord, we thank you for your word, that word that breathed out word from your own mouth. And Lord, help us to take heed of how we approach your word, not just in our attitudes, but in our sense of expectation when we open it. May we not approach your word flippantly. May we come to it knowing that it is your word breathed out to us and that it will accomplish what you send it out for. And therefore we are to treat your word with respect. We are to treat your word with reverence. And we are to be open to what you say to us through your word as your spirit works those words into our lives. Lord, do a great work among us as we are obedient to you, Lord, use us to bring glory to your name, that everlasting covenant which will be before you forever, as your name is glorified. We give you praise. We give you glory. Use us, we pray.